This evening I'm talking about building blocks of relationships. Building blocks of relationships. If our journey is about relationship, then we must understand what relationship is. You know, I said something about having one word to stand in for who we are or whatever. So you remember the exercise when we showed the logo or the brand of a particular company and you gave the name and you also gave what? One word of what they do. The moment we said KFC, you said what? Chicken. Because KFC doesn't do goats. They are all meat, but they don't do goats. They do chicken. It's defined. It is identified. So you don't make a mistake. If you go into their restaurant, you know what you're going to get. Actually, they don't even need to give you a menu. So you know what you deal with. When it comes to the church, we were confused as to what we stand for. But now it's made clear that the church is what? Discipleship. And discipleship has a meaning. The greatest confusion we will have is not having one word. We can have one word. We can all come to an agreement of one word and know that this is what church stands for. But the greatest confusion is not resolved by having one word. It's resolved by having the same definition for the same word. So when we say discipleship, and we all agree that the church is discipleship, do we all have the same definition for discipleship? Because to somebody, discipleship is, pastor, when I get born again, I come and they put me through a Bible study, and they, they teach me, and that is discipleship. I come to class once a week, so I'm doing discipleship. Different definitions will lead us to different destinations, although it's still one word. We must be able to have the same definition for what we're talking about. So we said that discipleship, it is a relationship with God and a relationship with other people. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship has nothing to do with a class. It has nothing to do with all that we think about. Although those things are important, sometimes we use those means to be able to equip people. But the real discipleship has to do with you following a teacher. You having someone you are committed to. You having somebody that you do life with. You learn life lessons from that person. You, you, you learn from that individual. So the disciples of Jesus had a walk and a life with Jesus. Everyday experience of how to address issues. And because of that link, they were able to also reach out to others. The abundant flow of love, of knowledge, of whatever we have to give comes from our source. It comes from God. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, first of all, you have to be discipled by him. You have to have a loving relationship with God, which is your vertical relationship, before you can have that loving relationship with somebody else. So it's a two-way affair. It is not 
monologue. It is a dialogue. It goes up and down and it also works with others. That is what discipleship is. It entails a lot. Yesterday, I even went further to let you understand that what we call discipleship in the church starts way before people even get saved. If we are talking about discipleship, as people getting saved in the church, discipleship starts the moment you connect your life with God, the love and the passion he puts in you. All of a sudden, you are thinking about somebody who needs to know the same love. Remember some of us, when we got born again, we had love and we were so passionate. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The moment she realized that Jesus was the prophet, she ran to the city and left her bucket at the well. She threw what brought her to the well. She came to fetch water. The most important thing was the water that she was coming to fetch. She said, this is not important anymore. I found the key. And she didn't stay. She ran to the city and shouted that I found the Christ. So when we give our life to the Lord, we must have passion to reach other people. Our connection up must bring connections around us. So discipleship starts not when you start telling somebody about Jesus. That's why we don't do it. We don't do it because we think, oh, I don't even know the Bible. What am I going to tell them? They know my lifestyle. If I start telling them something, they will not believe. Don't even think about that. Discipleship starts when you identify people that need to hear the word. I said, when you do what? You identify them. So in your heart, all of a sudden you realize that you have three colleagues. You have your brother. You have your sister. You have people at home. You have friends. You have your children who do not know the Lord. Discipleship is when in your heart you decide that these people must know the Lord. So identification becomes the first one. The second one is you begin to put them before God and say, God, I can't reach out to them unless you reach out to them. So the spiritual exercise begins. You start praying for these individuals. By this time that you are sitting here, you should have a list of people that you go on your knees for. That is what a true disciple does. You are praying for these individuals. Although you've not, some of them, you've not even contacted them. You see them, you smile, but you have not even spoken to them before. But they are in your war room. You are fighting the spirits that is stopping them from ripening. And when you keep praying for these people, the appropriate time will come. Please, don't do it prematurely. God will prompt you when you have to initiate contact. So at the right time, one time you are passing and you meet them eyeball to eyeball, maybe in an alley or somewhere, you meet them and say, oh, hello, how are you? And you smile. That is an opening for you. A relationship has started. So from that day, every day you are greeting them. Or if you work with them, as I used to say, when you go to work, you have lunch pack, you have two sandwiches, one is for them, one is for you. And, and when you give it to them initially, they are thinking, what is this guy doing? And he keeps smiling. But if it keeps coming, you say, ah, well, let me enjoy it. Then when you are having the lunch, they are also sitting by you. You've not asked them any question, but they are telling you their life. They've started opening up to you. That's not the time to be saying, hey, give your life to Jesus. If not, you're going to hell. No. You are just leading them on. But your character must begin to speak to them. 
Your attitude must begin to speak to them. When they do something that is against the word of God, you must speak the truth. There's a difference between speaking the truth and compromising the truth just for friendship's sake. There are some of us, even when they are doing something wrong, you know it's wrong, but you're you just joining in. No. You are lowering your standards. What you have to do is you tell them the truth, but you do it in love. You can look at their face and say, oh. Or they will ask you a question. Say, oh, if I were you, I would not do that. Because the Bible says I shouldn't do that. Don't even preach them. You, you set your standards. So they will begin to put in their head that this guy or this woman has some standards. Then you keep praying for them. God has a way to bring people in. Church, let me tell you that we are not the people who save people. It is the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. There are people who preach the word to and they will never get saved in our hands. It's not everybody you speak to that have to get saved. Some of us, when we start speaking to people or befriending them and we call them to church and they will not come or they will not give their life to Jesus, we get angry and we forget them. We don't want to even relate to them. There are so many people you have followed. They said, bring them to church. You went to sit in their house. You ironed their clothes for them. You gave them a taxi fare, but they still didn't come to church. And from that day, when you see them, you get angry. Oh, when you're correct, when you're correct. Because they didn't come to church. No, you cannot let relationship fall like that. You keep smiling and you keep presenting them to God. Because the relationship is not just between you and them. If you and them fail, you have the ultimate, you and God. When they say wait for me somewhere and you spend 30 minutes and they don't show up, it's not disappointing because the 30 minutes that they didn't show up, you have an alternative relationship that you spend the 30 minutes praying and building this relationship. And more love get you ready for the day they show up. You don't get frustrated. You are just waiting cool. We are not in a hurry. Friends, we cannot force people. Look at a tree. It has, diff- it has fruit on it. But every, the same tree, every fruit has the time they ripe. If all mango fruits ripe the same time on a tree, then it will be gone overnight. So you don't know when it ripes. The time, where, when, is not in your business. Look, Paul said, I planted. Apollos watered. And who brought the increase? God. There are people you will speak to and they will never be saved. But God has done some grand work. Somebody will speak to them and they get saved. It doesn't mean that you didn't do a good job. It means that you were part of the process of what God was doing. There are people you preach to who will never come to your church. And never agree with you. But before you know, they go to somebody's church. I was saying the other time that you follow somebody. And you, you try to get this person to church and they don't come. And you see them go to another church, you get angry. Uh, for us, I'm Conhuan. You didn't come to my church. Look, you've gone to somebody's church. As if the churches are in competition. Churches are not in competition. It's the same kingdom. I said it's what? What we are looking for is for that individual to be saved. So we do our job and we don't know when God is going to bring them in. We don't know when they're going to get saved. But you know what? 
God set them up in such a way that at the appointed time when they are ready, they will look for you. How I wish I could talk to you about the prodigal son. And the story and the, how fascinating that is. And probably I'll find time to do it another time. I'll look at it maybe Sunday or, some, or, or another time. As I'm led by the spirit when I go home, I, I, I'll seek God and see which direction I go. But look, when you are praying for them, what you are doing is you are keeping contact with them. And you, you, are, you are a phone call, a contact, a visit once a while, you are just waiting. Because there are two things that are going to happen. Two things happen to every individual. One, they will get a need. When the prodigal son went away, he got a need. He got to a point that what he would eat was even a problem. And when people get a need, they need help. And when they get a need, they are looking for where to go. Number two, they don't just get a need. Bible says they come to their senses. The prodigal son came to his senses. When a need comes, they are struggling with a the need, then they come to their senses. And that is when they are open for God. And when you have their contact, you are close. You've been following them for three years to come to church or to give their life to the Lord. They will never come. But you keep the friendship, you're still smiling to them. They know you're a principal person. When that moment of need and that moment of when they realize that, hey, I need God, they will call you and say, I have a problem. Can you help me? Can... And all of a sudden, say, I want to come to your church. All they need that moment is the contact. Somebody to be there to take them in. God is the one that converts hearts. God is the one that saves people. Our job is to wait at the door. So when they are ready to step out, we open the door for them. So they can enter into the kingdom. That's our job. And doing that is not hard. All we have to do is to connect with God and connect with the world. We must have connection all around us. If you have 20 people, 30 people you've been praying for, if you have people that you are trusting God for, let me tell you, God will bring some of them your way. God will definitely bring you a harvest. God will definitely bring somebody to the kingdom through you. A door will open. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? I've gone to visit some Christians in their homes. And when I get there, I get to know two things. Some of them, when you get to the house, before you enter the house, and they get to know you are the pastor of so-and-so person, a tenant in the house, they all enter their rooms. It means that that tenant is, is a problem. That member has an issue. But when you get to the house and everybody is coming, oh, hey, you are his pastor. Hey, welcome, pastor, welcome. And, and you are looking around and you are praying for everybody. He said, oh, pastor, we'll come to your church. Then you know that that person there is a witness. They are doing a great job. The reason why they want to come to your church is because they, they like what they see. We must change our approach. We must find a way to let God work through us. If not, look, we are busy doing church. But actually what we're doing is unnecessary, I would say, unpayable work. We are toiling too much. 
this whole thing is a love affair. It's easy for you to do it. It's easy for you. When you are in love with God, you love his people. And when you pray for people, when you seek opportunities for them to come to the Lord, sometimes you don't even have to say anything. It's just a blessing. It's just a blessing. That is not my cause tonight. I don't know why the Holy Spirit is taking me through this line, but I want you to understand that loving God and loving people is something that God wants us to do. And when we start loving God, it's easy to love people. It flows. It flows. And that's what discipleship is. It's all about that. I have come to realize that there is one size, there is no one size fit all recipe that can guarantee great relationships. You can't have one size fit all recipe. How is this relationship going to work? Oh, one size will fit all. No, there's no one size fit all recipe for relationships. Even your own children, they are not the same. Have you realized that the children that you are giving birth to, they are not the same? When you ask parents, how do you treat your children? And some of them are proud to say, oh, I love all of them equally. And they are trying to say they are good. They are able to measure the love they have. Whatever earns, they measure for every one of the children. Say, I love every one of them equally. It's not true. If you're a parent and you love all your children equally, you are not a sensitive parent. Hello? Some of us fought our parents because we thought they loved others than us, isn't it? But you see, we are all different. Any parent who is going to be successful would have to be a student of their own children and realize who they are and know the amount of inputs that needed to be put into that child. If you have three children that come from school and they are all giving homework and they all expect you to sit and do homework with them, the three children, you cannot do three homeworks at the same time. But there will be one of them that is brilliant, already know what to do. So when they show you the work, you just have to say, underline this, do it. I say, mommy, I get it. And they go to do it. But there's one of the children who is a little bit dumb, you have to spend all your time teaching them more and more and more and more and more before they get it. So the time you spend with that child, does it mean that you are depriving the other of, yes, it means that. But you have to spend more time with this one because that one is different. Study your children. Don't just balance it out because if you do that, some of them will fail. Some of them are more sensitive than the others. I, when I was growing up, I was sensitive than my other siblings. I never thought I would have this independence that I have today. I was laughed at by people in the community because I was always around my mother. Sensitive. My mother sits, I'm in her lap. And everyone says, hey, you're a boy. Just strengthen yourself and go and do something. When others are playing, I'm with my mom. Very sensitive. Very sensitive. I was always with my mom. And some of my siblings were free to do their own thing. They, were, they had freedom. They'll go and play. They'll go out with their friends. I am stuck with my mom. When she's going, I'm holding her clothes. If I even have the chance, 
I'll sleep between my mom and my dad. Hello? Ah, you think some of the children do that? Some of the children, ask, they don't sleep on their bed. When they want to sleep, they sleep on mommy's bed. What are you doing on mommy's bed? They are sensitive. So you have to discern and know that in life, we are all not the same. There are children that are sensitive. Even us, as adults, some of us are very sensitive. Some of us are sociable. When we meet people, we just flow with them. There are others that are not sociable. We withdraw. When we see people, we freeze out. So when you meet in a gathering like this and you find some people and they are freezing out, they are pulling themselves away and you are expecting them to step forward and be sociable and greet people like everybody, you are not being a good leader. A good leader is looking at those who have frozen and you go to them and you warm them in. At Bible studies, I watch. You have those who dominate the Bible study because when they talk, they don't want anybody to talk. Any little thing, they make argument because they want to be the ones talking all the time. And if you're a teacher in that class, there are others who will never speak. You have to tell those that are talking, shh, and point to somebody, even if they will say nonsense. Because that's the only way they feel included. Inclusiveness is making an effort to bring people in. And we must understand that when it comes to relationship, we are all not the same. And when it comes to relating to God, God doesn't see all of us the same. Go through the Bible and check. Some people had a better relationship with God because of their posture, because of their attitude. No matter what David did, God said, this is the love of my heart. Because this man will not give up. He will do anything. He, his relationship with God was extraordinary. So if David does something and God forgives him, you, you may not do the same thing, my friend. Because if you do the same thing, you will fall. The guy has a different spec. Not the same. There are people who offend you, but they know how to come around you. Oh, and they will use words. Before you know, you are smiling. But there are other people, the little thing you do to them, they run from you and they get their, their, their demeanor changes. Their face become like, and if you don't go and assure them and bring them back, you've lost them. As I work with people and relate to people, I know that people are not the same. If that is the case, then relationships are not the same. Whoever you are in relationship with, you have to identify who they are and know how best to reach out to them. If we want to know God, we have to spend time with God and have a personal relationship with God because that is how we're going to be able to know who we are to God. We are special. Everyone is special, but God has a way to reach out to every one of us. All relationships are completely different. They are not the same. You have to know that and you have to know how to deal with it. No two relationships will ever be alike. When you see somebody and his wife, oh, I want to be like you and your wife. Ah, you know what they do to be who they are. Some of you that go to the market and compare things. Everything you want. You want to, hey, these two people are nice. I, I want my marriage to be like this when I marry. You know the man God is going to give you. 
the man God is going to give you probably is going to be a quiet man who sits by the TV, doesn't blink. <laughs> he is not a fun-loving man. He is not agile like the other man you want to see. He is not affable like that other man. He is different. He wears green socks, yellow shoes, and red trousers. He has a terrible combination. He's different. He's not fashionable like the one you see. Hey, the way you dress, I want my husband to dress like, hey, they are different. No, no, they are different. They are different. Do you know some of the men you see outside, do you know that they iron their supporters, their underpants? They wash them. They, some of them put, they starch it and they iron it. I, I used to have a brother-in-law where we go to his house for dinner. It's fun. We are all in t-shirt and all that and we are waiting. For, the food is ready. We are waiting for him. He goes to the washroom and he has to put on his tie and suit and come and sit for dinner. Ah, what is this guy doing? Suit. Ah. We know, we know our culture is we sit by a bowl and thank God we have a dining table. But please, don't be too <laughs> English man. And hold knife and fork like that. <laughs> we are not the same friends. We are all not the same. And relationships are like that. They are not the same. However, however, there are basic building blocks of all relationships that we need to employ. Basic relationship blocks that we have to employ. There are four universal relationship blocks that must be seen in every relationship. If not, that relationship is not going to work. And whether you are married or you are not married, whether you, you are a friend to somebody or you have no friend, all relationships come with this. One, for a relationship to thrive, the first building block must be trust. Where there's no trust, there's no relationship. Number two, there must be love. Because you'll be required to do things that will not make sense. You'll be required to do things that will take extra energy. It will not have to take you thinking through it. But you acting. You need love. If not, that relationship is not going to work. A lot of marriages are not working today because everybody is using their head and not their heart. They are using what? Their head, not their heart. I know relationships where women are building houses at the backside of their husbands. You are building in, in, in your hometown. Why? Because you don't want the man to know. You have how many accounts? Secret accounts. Because it's become material. Everybody's fighting for what they can gain. That must not be the case. You need to be open. So we must come to that place where there's love. Not only trust, but love. The third one is forgiveness. There is no relationship without forgiveness. Forgiveness. So in a relationship, you must know, you must know that 
somebody is going to offend you. Either deliberately or voluntarily. That is why we have two words. Being injured or being maimed. Being injured is accidental. But being maimed is they look at your face and step on your toe and they twist it. And you are screaming and say, yeah, you can scream all you want. Because without forgiveness, no marriage is going to work. No relationship is going to work. No friendship is going to work. You must be quick to forgive. It's a building block. The third one is communication. You must communicate. You must talk to each other. You must have a flow. Releasing and taking. There must be something that happens. Communication. Some of you think you have communication, but you don't have communication. Because it's only you who talks. You talk, 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 talk. And you, you tell, hey, are you listening? You say, yeah. My father and mom used to fight when I was young. Because my mother would talk, talk, talk in the night. And in the morning when he asked the, she asked the question, my father would say, I don't know about that. Say, but yesterday I was telling you. My father seemed to forget everything. It was serious. But you know what was happening? When my mother is talking, he couldn't stop her. So he, he learned a skill that he would be lying in bed and say, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> then in the morning, when a day of accountability comes, he doesn't have any clue what was said. But you see, some of the women talk, and when they talk, they want you to listen, whether you like it or not. They want you. I've said here that women speak 30,000 words a day. 30,000. Men speak 10,000. So by the time the man comes from work, 10,000 is already used. But remember, the woman going to work, she used 10,000. 20,000 is there. It's not carried forward. It has to finish that day. So 20,000 will be waiting for you at home. She's waiting for you to come. She has nowhere to go. It's only you. So when you start talking, <laughs> when she starts talking, and you, you, you get fed up, you move away from the, from the living room, thinking she will stop. Then she's following you. <laughs> and you know, sometimes... Sometimes they keep talking, even when they put their head in the washing machine and they are removed. Do you understand? Hey, how do I understand something? In, you're talking into washing machine. You want me to understand that? One man of God said, "It is not the fault of men when they urinate on toilet seats, because he said, while they are urinating." The wife will be talking and calling their name and say, yeah. So they, they miss target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and by, the, by the time you know the toilet seat is wet, it's, it's not their fault. It's the women, they are talking. The women are talking. So when you wet the place, please mop it up. Communication seriously is important. We must 
talk. We must talk. And that is what makes a relationship a relationship. Only when you understand some of these things would your relationship work. Especially even with our God. If we don't understand this, our relationship with God will not work. The unique thing about our God is he is one God in three persons. And one God in three persons means that he has the capacity, the ability to relate to himself. He could internalize his relationship because God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Trinity, is God having a relationship with himself. And that is why God needed, didn't need us. I said God didn't need us. He only wanted us. Because if his communication, he talked to himself. He related to himself. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father, they having fun. One is here, one is there. When Jesus was even on earth, disconnected from God in terms of distance, he was always talking to the Father. Communication. So God was okay. But he just loved us and decided he would create us. He didn't create us because he needed us. Because he loved us. He wanted us. It is also interesting to point out that God made all creatures at their own kind. How did God make a goat? At their own kind. Because we don't know any goat anywhere than the goat we know. Cow at their own kind. But when it came to man, Bible says that God made us in his likeness and image. Likeness means that we look like God. Image means we have his character and attitude. So God made us in his likeness. If we appear, we shall be like him. That's what the Bible says. Oh, you've never seen Jesus. You've never seen God. He's just like you. Because we are made in his likeness and in his image. Goats, <laughs> they have their own class. I don't think goats will meet a classmate anywhere. They are all goats. They don't have any divine representation. They are goats. We are human. We are made in God's image. And one thing we must realize is the image of that relational God is in us. So if God could relate to himself, then in us is relationship. There is something planted in your heart that is called relationship. Hey, when you grow to a certain point and you're a lady and nobody talks to you about marriage or love or something, sometimes you feel like, hey, Ms. Minyenipa. Everybody wants somebody to talk to. Hey, it must flow. Even if it's somebody who is not somebody you want to marry, at least when you hear that, hey, Miss me all. <laughs> but nobody is minding you. You think something is wrong with you. I know women that are going for prayer meetings because they think their face has been changed to something else because everybody that sees them passes by. Every one of us needs somebody to relate to us. Somebody to like us. Somebody to be mindful of us. We all want that to happen. 
We need that. In Psalm 8, verse 4 to 8. Are you here with me? The room has become quiet. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. That is who God has made us to be. We are precious to God. What astounds me is how God took everything that he had created. God said, it is good. And it was pleasing to God. Everything he created was good and pleasing to him. And all that God created, my friends, look, all that God created, you know all that God created? Hello? You know all that God created? Some of us think about God's creation like Adam and Eve in a little garden in the size of your backyard. A garden with tomato and uh, that's God's creation, garden of Eden. That's what you're thinking about. Hey, when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden and brought everything under them, what God brought under them included Africa. Look at the size of the land. It included Obuasa mines. It included Newmont. It included Jamaica, Russia. It included them. I wonder how Adam was going to inspect the garden. Maybe by divine transportation. He's in Africa. He visited the elephants in South Africa and calmed them down. And he goes to Sri Lanka. Wow. Because Adam was not going to go by Chukuchaka train <laughs> to inspect. Everything was brought under his dominion, the whole world. Everything we see now as the world, God created them and they were all put under the control of man. Adam and Eve, two people in charge of the world. When you and your wife are in charge of the world, what would you do? That's how big it is. But what intrigues me is God entrusting man with everything he had made and he himself had testified that it was good and pleasing to his eyes. He entrusted us with that. God gave everything to us to control. And here is the blow. If God gave everything to man, entrusted man with this kind of stuff, being divine as he is, being a God who knows all things, being a God who is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, all-powerful, 
God knew what was in the head of a man. Don't tell me that the fall of Adam and Eve eluded God or it was an afterthought or it was something God saw later. When God created Adam and Eve, God knew what was going to happen. He knew that man had a problem. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to betray him. But in spite of all the knowledge he had, God still went ahead and put this whole thing into man's hands and said, control it. Hey, hello. If you know one of your children is crazy, would you make a will and give them their best car? <laughs> you know what will happen. But God knew that we will fail, but still he entrusted everything to the hands of Adam and Eve. That is what we call trust. Trust is risky, my friend. Trust is risk. You have to trust people by risking it. Because without trust, there's no relationship. You know they're going to dupe you, but you still give them the, the room. You know they're going to deceive you, but you still give them the chance to deceive you. Why? Because without that, there's no relationship. You must instill trust. What you don't also realize is trust is a test. So until you test the person, you cannot conclude. Even if you, by divine order, you know what they're going to do. The crime has been committed before you can conclude. Everybody is presumed innocent until proven wrong. You have not proven it. You know, but it's not happened. Hey, pastor, this person that I see, I see that this person is very dangerous. This person is very risky. Hey, pastor, this person, I can't trust this person. Hey, pastor, I can't work with hey, hey, hey. My friend, you cannot say that until they have done it to you. You still, even when they do it, you still have to trust them with another level of trust. God made us stewards, stewards of whatever he had created, still knowing that we are going to fall. Trust is risky. In his divine wisdom, he knew that trust must be given and trust must be kept for a relationship to work. When you start saying you don't trust somebody, you don't trust somebody, you don't trust somebody, you don't even take off in relationship. Because you are not ready to put anything on the line. How do you trade without capital? You must be given an amount of capital. Somebody has to put something on the ground. So when you say, I don't trust, I'm not putting anything in, then nothing is going to happen. Do you know that marriage is like a box? A box. Marriage is like a box. What you put in is what you find. Some of us want to pick things from the box, but we have put nothing in the box. Until you put trust in the box, when you go to pick something from it, there's nothing there. Trust is risky. It's an investment you have to make. You have to put something on the line, no matter what. Look, look at me. No matter how people come to me and tell me about you, I still want to work with you. Hello? That is the level of grace God has given me. If I tell you stories, 
I can hear stories. And when people are telling me stories, I'm not worried because I don't judge anybody by the story I have until I have a first-hand experience with people. So you think you can talk me out of relating to somebody, you are lying. I will listen and smile. You can ask my wife. <laughs> I will listen and smile, but I will still do the same thing. Because I give everyone the same opportunity to prove themselves. I do. Some of them, it's not because I don't think they will let me down. I know they will let me down, but I still go ahead and set them up for that. Because it's a test. I need to know whether they will, they will work with it well or they will fail. That is what relationship is. God gave the very first command in the Garden of Eden. When you look at the book of Genesis, after entrusting everything to man, this is what he said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, he commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Lord God commanded. The first thing I want you to know is, the first instruction that came from God, the first command was don't. It wasn't don't, don't, don't. Some of us think God is a God of don'ts. He's waiting for us to sin so he kill us. He's ho holding a stick up there in heaven. <laughs> He's looking for somebody to make a mistake. No, that's the God, the, God, the God we serve. God is not setting you up to fail. God is not waiting to punish your, your mistakes. That's not what he wants to pray on. Some of us, in our relationship, all we are doing is we are setting people up for them to fail so we can say, yes, I told you so. Or I said you're a bad man, you see? <laughs> Some of us, that's what we're doing. That's not what God does. The first thing God told man was not don't. The first thing he said, you can eat of all the trees in the, in, in the garden. What? Freely. First instruction, we are free. And not just free, we are free to eat. Hello? If somebody is eating, allow them to eat. They are free to what? Eat. God gave us freedom to eat. We have the freedom to eat. You are free to eat. Of every tree of the garden, you may freely, freely eat. Freely. God didn't say don't. The first one, free eating. Free eating for everybody. Do you know that one of the addictions of life is food? Food is man's biggest addictive substance. People love to eat. I have a place in Singapore where I eat fish head. And I normally eat that fish head 3 a.m. in the morning. Anytime I'm in Singapore, I go for shopping in the night. And by 3 a.m. I'll finish my shopping. Then I'll go and sit in this shop. And it's an Indian carry. So the, the fish head I'm talking about is big fish. So the head can be that big. And they cook it with okra and stuff like that. It looks like a benkwain. You see, this curry stuff. And they will bring it boiling with the whole bowl and they put it in front of you. And all eyes will be looking at you. Fish head. I love the fish head. 
Aidi 3 a.m. People love food. Go around the world, travel and see. See the number of restaurants that are around the world. Food, 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 everywhere food. Look at the amount of time we spend in cooking food. Hey, food. When we start cooking, <laughs> some people can cook three days, they are still cooking. Three days. I don't know what they are cooking. <laughs> you see, I thought the Chinese are very fast in cooking. They put needles on, on fire or microwave and they are done. But it's not true. They cook the chicken feet, cook the chicken leg, cook the chicken hip, <laughs> cook. They cook and cook and cook and, and they pack them. Ah, people cook. All because the Bible says we should eat what? Freely. We are free to eat. God gave the first instruction as freedom. But secondly, not just the freedom. The freedom he gave us, he knew that it was hinged on trust. Because trust is important. But the second instruction he gave, the command, he said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There is exclusion. We had freedom, but exclusion has been employed here. Meaning we are free to eat everything. But there is one small thing God has withheld that we shouldn't eat from. A tree that is somewhere in the garden. And God said, Adam, this one, don't touch it. So why would we see that as a problem? If everything is given to us but one. Who are we? Everything has been given to us. The restriction is on only one thing. My friend, enjoy. Enjoy. It's like a small boy whose father owns a shopping mall. And in that shopping mall, they sell cars, they sell music, steros, they sell everything. Everything is in the shopping mall. But they also sell candy. You know this um, purple f f uh, kind of, this it's like cotton kind of candy. They put stick in it. For children, it's made with sugar and uh, candy, sweets, right? And the father said, you see where they sell the candy? That candy one is no good for you. Don't eat that one. And guess what the, the child goes for? He goes around, he sees Mercedes Benz, he sees Ferrari, he sees this, he, and he goes around and says, give me some of the candy. Ah, but your father said, that's the only one you should not eat because that is no good for you. That is the attitude of human beings. If somebody visits you and you realize they're going to eat something you love, tell them that you don't like that one. They will leave it alone. When they get to know that's what you like, you are dead. Because what we are told not to do is what we do. You leave your house in the care of somebody. Big house. And you tell somebody, take care of this house one year. I'll be away when I come back. But this is my room. Don't open this door. A, a tiny door. You know what they will do? They wait for you to go. And the moment you go, say, ah, so what is in this door at all? Their aim is to break through that door. Because they feel that they have the rest 
except that one. We don't like restriction. We don't. It's our attitude. What you tell people you don't like is what they do. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. But that is your test, my friend. That is the trial. That is the trust. We must be able to work with that. Adam and Eve zeroed in on what God said they shouldn't do. It's amazing. You see, when you look at the conversation, I don't think I'll have time enough to go to the details of the conversation. But the conversation between Adam and Eve and, 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 and God was interesting. It was interesting. Very, very interesting. They ended up eating what God said they shouldn't eat. Adam failed to realize that the foundation of all relationships is trust. Their tragedy was God made them in his image. Can you just imagine somebody you've made in your image that has failed you? You made somebody in your likeness and they failed you. It was an issue of trust. When they ate the fruit and God came around, what they were trying to tell God is, we don't trust you more than we trust the devil. Look, when did they meet the devil? The God that made Adam, made him a wife, gave him a garden, and told him, you can eat this, don't eat that. The devil comes around one time, and you trust the word of the devil over God. What kind of person are you? When did you meet the devil? You relate to somebody for a long time, and they meet somebody for the first time, and they trust what they say over what you have told them over years. Ah. But that is human tendencies. We, we, we rather want to go with the devil, with what is not true. We trust that over what God is saying. How could you trust the devil who you just met? What happened to loyalty? What happened to loyalty? The God who gave you all things. And he said, no, I choose to listen to the devil. God, I don't trust you. There's something you've hidden from me. You are not telling me the truth. Because if you are telling me the truth, you tell me that this, this tree has something in it. And because you didn't tell me, God, I'm suspicious of you. I'd rather go with the devil. Hey. It's a matter of time you know that the devil cannot be trusted. Because <laughs> devil is dangerous. The reason why we do that is because of greed. We try to have it all. And we see human greed in everything. We see greed even in our titan. God gives you 100% and you look at 10% and say, why should I bring 10%? You want to eat the 10% on top of the 90. Greed. Greed is an issue. Titan is an issue of trust. When God gives you everything and he wants you to retain 10%, it's the same principle. The same principle. But we blame Adam because we think we are smart. Adam was not. It's the same nature. The Bible says when they mess up, God came around and God started asking, Adam, 
where are you? Adam, where are you? Why would God be lost in his own garden he created looking for the man he created? Look, the garden belonged to God. And all civilian cameras in the garden were controlled by God. So God could see everything that was happening. Even when they were eating the fruit, he saw it. But he comes around and says, Adam, where are you? Was it because God didn't know where they were? He knew. That question was rhetorical. That question was not just common. Where are you? He meant something deeper than just asking, where are you geographically? It was not just identifying where they were because God, his eyes searched to and fro. That's what the Bible says. He knows where every man is. When God said, where are you? He knew their location. But what God was doing was, he was asking, where is your heart? Where is your position of relationship with me? Where, where is this relationship we started? Where is it? Where are you? Where do you stand by betraying me? Where is your relationship? Not where are you physically. Where are you? Where do we stand? Where do we go from here? Adam, you've messed things up. Where do we go from here? That was what he was asking Adam. Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. The result of breaking trust always brings fear, insecurity, and cover-ups. It brings fear, insecurity, and cover-up. When you break trust, how many of us know that we are bound to lie? When you are trusted and you break the trust and we are asking you, you will lie. Not only that, you will be afraid what will happen and you will be insecure. And that level of insecurity can create a problem for you. Most often when we have Fear and insecurity, it brings us to a place of pride. So you become proud. You try to defend your position. But the fact is you are afraid. And you are insecure. But you are protecting your position. I will show you the pride of Adam in just a little while. God didn't want Adam and Eve to go down the drain. He didn't want the relationship to spin and go the negative way because if God didn't do anything about it, they would keep getting into fear, into insecurity because he knew that he was their only hope. God knows that he knows that I am the only person that can help. Forget the lies they are listening to. Forget the deception of the enemy. If I don't help them, nobody's going to help them. So I'm, I'm going to do something about it. And that is the God we serve. Who did the wrong? Who did the wrong? Hey, are you with me? Who did the wrong? Man, Adam, isn't it? Who went searching for the other person? God. Hey, if you wrong somebody, who goes after the person to plead? You expect the person who wronged you to come to you, isn't it? 
but it was God who was looking for the person who had done what was wrong. You see the loving nature of God. You've gone to sin and God is looking for you. God was the one searching. The heart of God is big. He kept looking for them. Although they had sinned. And God took initiative to restore them. God wanted to restore. Bring them back into trust. That was what God was doing. The congregation that is behind there. I, I don't want to come there and, and dismantle that. Look, I am so amazed by the attitude of God. Look at this principle. Some of us, when people offend us, our biggest problem is they don't come to apologize, so we don't forgive them. Who told you that when somebody offends you, they have to come and apologize before you forgive them? Forgiveness is something that benefits you, not them. So when somebody offends you, you have to forgive them. You are the first person to do what? To forgive them. You don't have to wait for them to apologize. I have said here over and over that when somebody offends you and you don't forgive them because you are thinking they should come and beg you and all that, so you forgive them. It is like you drinking poison and you are expecting them to die. So when people offend you, you forgive them straight away and you save your heart. You go into safety. Because you don't want to keep thinking about them and go crazy. You don't want them to control your destiny. You want to free yourself so you forgive. When Adam and Eve sinned, what God did was, he ran after them and was making provision to restore them. That is God. Have you ever read in the Bible somewhere where Adam said, God, I am so sorry. I made a mistake. God, this will never happen again. Have you read something like that? Ah, man never apologized, but God still restored man. Isn't he a loving God? I thought you put your hands together for him. He is a loving God. Even when we didn't recognize our sin, he forgave us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a loving father. He doesn't wait for us to take the initiative. He is on the go. And what God did was he went after them and said, where are you? To mitigate Adam and Eve's sin, what God did was he had to do something to stop that direction of flow. God had to do something to stop them from going that trajectory because he didn't want them to descend into chaos. So God had to do something and he went after them. And the first thing God had to do was to ask them a question. The first question was clear. Where are you? The second question. He said, Adam said, I am naked. And God said, who told you you are naked? 
Who told you? Whose word would you believe? Me or the devil? Who said? Who said? Who said? Some of us have believed a lie. The devil has deceived us, but who said? Who said God doesn't love you? Who said? Who said that this sickness is not going to leave? Who said that you're never going to make it in life? Who said you ever be poor? Who said you are cursed? Who said? Whose report would you believe? That's what Isaiah said. Whose report? We shall believe in the report of the Lord. I will not believe. Don't even believe professionals' reports. Because they make mistakes. A professional can put you in a fearful mood. One of my great authors, I was reading one of his books and he was saying that one time he had a shock of his life. His whole family were in trouble. Because he went to hospital and they diagnosed that he had throat cancer. And all of a sudden, everything that was important became unimportant. He was going to die. Family all around him. He didn't think about money, car, nothing. Hey, I'm going to die. And he needed to make peace with people and all that. Then one of his sons said, can you have a second opinion? They take him to another doctor. And they kind of check it out, check everything. And eventually they realized that it was so truth. But God wanted to show him a lesson. That you can't put your faith in things. At least when they said you were going to die, you said your priorities right. Right? Whose report do you believe? Adam said, I was naked. Who told you you are naked? Do you trust me or you trust the devil? God asks another question. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? God knows what he had done, but he wanted to just ascertain the truth. It was a mission just to elicit truth. Not, not God was, look, God didn't come after Adam and Eve to punish them. He came to restore them. They thought God was looking for them to reprimand them, to caution them. No, God was coming with a good heart. To restore them. And they were running away and finding excuses and trying to fight God back. Why would you do that? That is man. We become defensive when we are afraid. And pride comes in. His trust for God had been compromised. And because of that, he didn't trust God any longer. He trusted the devil more than God. He had put his confidence in Satan. He asked him, have you eaten the fruit? What was his answer? Yes or no? No, this, these days you don't fail in school. It's true or false. It's yes or no. Take the answer and let's go. Have you eaten the fruit? When they start telling law's story, you know they don't know what they are talking about. That is three and four. Have you eaten the fruit? He said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. 
What a long answer for a simple question. Long answer. Did you eat or you didn't eat? God is not me. That's how you catch children in your house who eat meat from your soup. Hey, did you take the meat? It's not me. It's it's messy. Then you know that they are lying. They ate. Adam, long story. It's the woman you gave me. Was what Adam saying true? I don't believe it's true. When you read the Bible, the Bible says that when Eve was being tempted, Adam was there. The story looks as if that Eve was told not to eat the fruit and she went on a different direction and Adam was not there and she had interaction with the devil and she, she ate the fruit and brought, looked for Adam and brought it to him. No, the Bible says that he was with her. It was fresh love. He would not let her go anywhere. He was with her. They were together. So when Eve was having that discussion with the devil and taking the fruit and eating it, Adam was there. He just didn't talk. He didn't act. He was there. He was so fascinated by the love that he didn't say anything. Let, let's see what is happening here. Hey. Hey. Too much freedom. When you marry, you understand. <laughs> I'll not say anything. <laughs> some of us, when your husband is doing wrong thing, you don't say it. When your wife is doing wrong thing, you don't say it. When the problem comes, it's the two of you. Or standing there. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, let's see what happens. Actually, let me tell you this. I strongly believe that the accusation he was given that it was the wife you gave me. When you saw the woman, you said, this is the woman of the bone of my bones. You were interested. Now you say, it's the woman you gave me. Hey. It's the woman you gave me. But when you were saying this is the woman, hey, what happened? What changed? Right? Then now, you said you ate it because she did it. She made a mistake and you supported her. The fact is, who was told not to eat the fruit? It was Adam. And he was standing there and the woman ate the fruit. I, I strongly believe that it was Adam who wanted to eat the fruit. It was, look, let's stop blaming the woman. It was Adam who wanted to eat the fruit. But, listen, listen, listen to this. The issue was, the issue was, Adam was afraid that if he ate it, he would die. But since the woman was with him, you eat it first. If you don't die, I also eat. You see how smart Adam was. Adam was using the woman as a test. Hey. And now you say it's the woman you gave me. But you wanted to eat because you didn't say stop. She ate it and you you also ate it. So what is the problem now? Look, trust will always be tested. Trust. Any trust that is given you will be tested. It will be tested. How many of us buy drugs from 
any pharmaceutical company. You buy, you take paracetamol, you take something, right? How many of us? Oh, are you that spiritual? You, you don't take medicine. Every drug that is on the shelf is tested before it's sold. If they don't test the drug and you buy it, you can take anything. There was a time where amosacillin was coming from, being imported from Nigeria. And they discovered that it was concunte that was being put in it. That's why we, we, we have drugs bought. <laughs> you see, when medicine is not tested, these vaccines that they put on us, they test it. They test it on animals if they don't die. They test it on other substances if they don't die. And they, they, they call human who are ready to become scapegoats. And they sign their will away that, try me. <laughs> Especially those who are dying. And they try, they don't die. Then they keep moving it up until it comes to you. Every drug on the shelf is tested. Every trust God has given to you will be tested. Every relationship that you are in, trust will be tested. It's a matter of time. It will be tested. And if it's not true, it will fall away. Adam said he's the woman. Why wouldn't Adam just accept his sin so that God will end it there? He takes it on. And the woman, God decided to give them a fair hearing. So he decided to ask the woman. And when he asked the woman, what did the woman say? Hmm? It's the serpent who deceived me. Hey, is that true? Is that true? Let's read the scriptures. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. It's the devil who deceived me. Yeah, the devil might have deceived you, but when the devil deceived you, you looked. Nice. Oh, this is great. She looked at the whole thing. It was pleasing to the eye. It was good. Also, it was desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took it and ate it. I told you that somebody said she got a vision and the devil was crying. The devil crying. He said, why, devil, why are you crying? And the devil answered and said, not these stupid Christians. Everything they do, their own fault, they say it's me. Everything they blame me. <laughs> Everything they blame me. That's how the devil is angry with us. The boy who went to school and came home and his whole dress was muddy. He was playing with mud. And the mom said, don't play around like that and mess your school uniform. And you know what the boy did? He went to school, came back, and he was still dirty. And the mom said, I don't like what you are doing. He said, mom, it's not me. It's the devil. It's the devil that makes your dress dirty. He said, yeah, it's the devil. And he said, when you go this time, and the devil comes, tell the devil, get thee behind me, Satan. Say yes, mom. And when he came the next time, his dress was even worse. And the mom said, what happened? He said, it's the devil again. He said, but I told you to tell the devil, get thee behind me. 
He said, yes, I did exactly that. When I told the devil, get thee behind me, he got behind me and he pushed me into the mud. Many of us, we are blaming the devil. But look at James. I, I have five minutes to finish. I'm going to finish soon. I still can't finish this. I have to stop it at a point. But let me just wrap, wrap up with this. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 15. 13 to 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. So it was the woman's own desire. All this sarcasm and wrong answers and all that and all that, God realized that no, it was not going to help. So God decided to stop it. They deserve to die. Their punishment was to die. But because he loved us, he decided, I am going to suspend the death sentence. I'm not going to kill them now. I want to restore the relationship. They have messed up big time. They have done something wrong. But I'm going to restore the relationship. So I'm going to put death on hold. And instead of making them die, I'm going to bring what we call pain. Pain was to point to man that this is the consequence of what you do. So God now said, man, when you work, you are going to till the ground and it's going to be painful. He told the woman, hey, in your delivery, it's going to be painful. You're going to look to your husband. Pain is going to come into the world. Pain is a drag to tell us when we are going wrong. Anytime you put your hand in fire and it burns you, you do what? You take your hand up so that your hand doesn't get fully bent. Pain is a reminder that you are on the wrong course. And pain can come in any form. It can come in a physical sense or pain can come emotionally. When relationship between you and somebody goes sour, what suffers is emotional hurt. Emotionally, you find pain. Pain just tells you that things are not in the right direction. So God decided to institute pain. But these people could still not stand before God. Because he had done something wrong. The pain was to point them to the fact that when they repent, God will still restore the relationship. But because they couldn't stand before God, God went extra mile to do something about it. Bible says he killed animals and put the skin to cover them. Adam said they were naked. So if you are naked, you can't stand before God. So God killed and put the skin to cover them. Look. That animal skin says volumes. One, God wanted them to see the carcass of the animal and see that we should have been in their position. That animal didn't do anything. We were supposed to die, but that animal died on our behalf. It's because of us that animal is there. The blood was a sacrifice. That red substance, that red liquid, was also to show them the consequence of sin. That, hey, when you sin, this is what you see red. 
everything about that killing was something has taken your place. You should have died. And yet, God changed the whole thing. Pain was to point them to seeing that everything is wrong. But God went ahead. And God covered them up. And that's where I'm going to end. One thing about Adam was he was so prideful that you know that before the fall, Adam had the opportunity to name everything, right? And what name did he give to his wife? He said, you'll be called what? Woman. Because he came from a man. Woman is simply a man with a womb. Womb man. So women are men. They just have a womb. You'll be called a woman. But after the fall, when God says, when, when God said, you are going to die. He changed the name of the woman to Eve. Now, this same person, name change. Birth and death registry. Change of name. Publish it. <laughs> gazetted it. <laughs> Change of name. The woman is no more a woman. She is called Eve. Eve simply means the mother of the living. So he was trying to out of rebellion spike God. God said you are going to die. He is saying God, even if you forsake us, we are going to make it. Hey, my wife is going to be the mother of all living. Hey. <laughs> How can man have this pride? That's what sin does. It brings us to a place where we are so full of pride. Some of us, when we fall out of place with God, we think we can do it by ourselves. We think we can make it by ourselves. So we try everything we can until we come to a place where we realize that we can resolve the issue. The issue here is God decided to offer forgiveness. He decided to give man another chance. As you sit here, you have been given another chance. Love has been demonstrated through relationship with God. What God did was he slaughtered an animal in their place and used the blood to cover their sins, used their skin to cover them, to show them the consequence of sin, to show them if you don't repent and you follow the direction you are on, eventually you become like a carcass that, like this one. That's what is going to happen to you. I'm advising you repent and change direction. But still, they were on that course. But that didn't stop God from helping them. He's a God of relationship. What God did was the first prophetic expression of what was about to come. What was about to come was God will not stop at killing animals that have been entrusted to human beings. God was going to go extra length, extravagant show of love. And God was going to put himself on a cross and shed his blood so that man who never repented Man who never accepted the sin 
will have the opportunity to have a restored relationship with God. Bible says, in the fullness of time, at the appointed time, what happened was Jesus, God, incarnated in the flesh. He went to the cross. He was crucified. Crucifixion is not an easy thing. Crucifixion is not, this is Easter. I need to take you to Philippines. If you go to the streets of Manila right now in Philippines, Good Friday, somebody is being crucified. People offer themselves to be crucified just to show the love of God, especially within the Catholic system. And literally, they nail people and they put them on the cross and blood is coming and they are crying and all that. They go through the pain and after that, they remove the nails and send them to hospital. That is the craziness of religion. <laughs> the craziness of religion. But that is what God did. Extravagant love. Extravagant display of love. I can't just understand God. He loves us. And that is why when we have relationship with him, his love comes into us. And it flows into others. If you know how much you've been loved, loving people is easy. To him that much is given, much is expected. If you know what should have happened to you and you are still alive, what your brother or sister does against you is just a chicken piece. A small potato. What they do to you doesn't matter. The reason why you pack your bag to leave that marriage and never come back, if you know what God did for you, what that spouse of yours did is just a chicken piece. Some of us, little things just take us out of order. And we become like Adam. We protect ourselves. I should have done that. We desire we there. But somebody paid a price and he want a reflection of that in our lives. He said, just as I have done for you, do for your other brothers. And that's why he took the communion cup and he said, as often as you do this, this is a representation of my covenant. This cup, nobody can drink from it. It's my blood. And he said, as often as you drink this, Remember, remember what I did on the cross. Friends, we have communion here today. And it is just the covering of God, the extravagance of God, the grace of God. It is relationship. Some of us don't take communion when it's because, oh, I have not confessed my sins. I have not repented. He doesn't need you to repent and confess your sins. He wants that to remind you of where you are going. That if you keep going that same direction, you will die. That his love is available for you. He shed his blood so you can just own up and say, I am sorry. I come back to this grace. And when we fall into love with him, loving people become the easiest thing. Hello? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? You see, when it becomes difficult to love someone and you break the edge and you love them, it's exciting. 
It's so exciting. When people are difficult and you can love them, it's exciting. Somebody came to my office and it's a story in this church that I don't want to mention names. But he wanted to marry somebody from this church and he came with full fire. He came to my office and he was coming to blast me. He was going to show me. And the man was talking, 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 saying stuff. When he left my office, he told me, if I had met any of your pastors, I would have floored them. But you know what? Thank God by the time we finish talking, whilst we're talking, my heart will go up and I tell myself, calm down. Then I'll calm down. And I will, I'll take my time to explain. And God gave me wisdom. When we finish, he left my office and he stood up. And he was telling the woman, I was standing behind, he didn't know I was there. He said, this is a good man. He said, I came here with a different intention. But he's proving me wrong. We became friends. Why? Because I decided that the love of God will flow to somebody like that. Somebody who is agitated, somebody who is angry, somebody who is fuming, somebody who wants to take the world on. There are some people who have ideas about the church that, hey, they want to floor the church. But I decided, come on, bring it on. I want to demonstrate. I want to exhibit the love of God. If you can do that in your marriage, if you can do that among your friends, if you can do that in this church and realize that, Discipleship is relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with people. And there's no other way we are going to be measured except how we relate to people. And we should remember that trust will, will have to work among us. We should remember that what? Forgiveness will have to work. What else? Love have to work. And what's the last one? Communication. I'm not talking to you. Hey, if you're not talking to the person, you will hear lies. Some of us, when we are angry with people, we are not talking to them. We are talking to other people. So everything that you are being told comes from third parties. And they are all lies. Why don't you talk to the person? If you get that confidence and go to the person, Mr. Ntreji, I heard this, da, 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 da. What is your take on that? Oh, pastor, I didn't say that. I said this and they said that. Okay, now I understand you. We shake hands. It's gone. But I will go and say, hey, you know what Mr. Ntreji is saying about me? And that person goes, hey, hey. And we are all hearing voices. The fight gets escalated. We exacerbate a lot of things that don't have to fly at that level. But today the communion is here to tell us that the love of Jesus is available. Relationship. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to seal this relationship? This is Easter. That the blood will speak for you. That whatever you have done, whether willful sin or sin that was done on your behalf. Whether it's sinful thinking and heart and mindset. The blood of Jesus is able to purge you and clean you and make you whole. Blood. No barrier is going to work in my life. Anybody that I don't talk to, including those that are dead. Some of you are still fighting the dead. You are angry with your father and he died. And you are still angry. Is that? He said, today, no barrier. There's nothing that I can forgive if I look at the man on the cross. There was no beauty in him to be desired. 
a man that was beaten. He was acquainted with her grief. Because of him, we stand where we stand. Because of him, we have the grace that we have. May his blood flow through you. Start praying and say, Lord, let me love you more. Let me reach out to you more. Let me have interaction with you more. I want to fall in love with you all over again. This church is not about Pastor Gospel. It's not about any other person. It's not about meeting here. It is about love. 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 We love God. Because he first loved us. Love. 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 